This past week, in the midst of the channel launch, we had four separate recording sessions, presumably for one podcast episode. If this was peak pandemic, winter 2021, we'd release a two-hour epic. The longer the better, because isolated and alone, time was our enemy, and anything that helps pass the time, our friend. But it's a different time now. We're doing things, including talking to more people from and adjacent to our community. This is the first of an experiment. We're calling New Models Shorts. These episodes will usually be a conversation with a guest, but at other times could be a topical exploration or monologue or radio play. But they'll always be short form, about the time it takes to get from point A to point B. On this episode, we talked to Norwegian artist Bjarne Melgaard shortly after he arrived in Dubai. We reached out to Bjarne because he recently got swept up in yet another controversy, which is to be expected with Bjarne. But the weird thing was this time, the controversy was hardly about Bjarne at all. And even weirder, the controversy was from a little place called Crypto Twitter. This is the first New Models episode that will be delivered to the channel RSS, so it's kind of natural this one's Web3 facing. Shouts to everyone who supported Season Zero and our whole community for trusting us. But we'll be rolling out the other recordings over the next week. A new episode of our casual topsoil format that includes a conversation about Apple's app approval process with NM member at Chorist, and a special report on the Ukraine with Anastasia Osapova, scholar of Soviet and contemporary Russian culture at the University of Colorado Boulder, and currently on the ground in Kiev. But for now, we present to you the inaugural debut of New Models Shorts. So are you in Dubai? Where are you now? I'm in Dubai, yeah. What are you doing there? <laughs> I also ask myself the same question. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a little for some business and then a little bit vacation. Okay, good. But so I was like on Twitter and I saw all these people were really mad because you were <laughs> releasing this NFT and you did this rave in what's the rave space? Decentraland. Called? Yeah, in Decentraland. And people were like, can someone tell this artist, quote, quote, what a rave really is? And I was like, you guys, it's Bjarne. Of course it's gross. He's like the king <laughs> of like the world. Worst, most depraved stuff. Um, so, you know, we thought we could maybe uh, check in and ask you about your new project, ask you about the art world, yeah. etc. Sure. You know, the, the rave was actually a lot of people really liked it. You know, even if it was a lot of sour people, a lot of younger people really was into it. I can imagine. Could you paint the picture a little bit for our listeners? Well, it was done mostly in this club called Fabric in London with very young DJs that might be twins. And then with more established DJs like Lindstrom and Prince Thomas from Norway. It was basically just, you know, like if you first going to do this NFT, also give something back. Yeah, totally. When were the sets recorded at Fabric? Uh, last week. 
Okay. There was also like dancers filmed that was on screens in Decentraland. So the rave in Decentraland was like a pre-launch for something called Lightbulb Man, a character that you developed in the 90s. Can you give some background as to what Lightbulb Man is? For sure. You know, the Lightbulb Man was first presented during my one-man show at the Stedelijk Museum in Amsterdam. And it was a figure that... I've seen uh-huh. a little bit as my own personal mythology. It's been following me ever since. Uh, sometimes I like it and sometimes I don't. Because <laughs> original, this sculpture was meant to have light inside. So that we built a special room where you had to look through a peephole. So the light will come out from the light bulb man in this fog that was created, especially for the show. So the idea was if you put a light inside the body, then there would be these rays of light that would come pouring out, leaking out of this body. And it was at once really violent in a sense, because it's like this body that can't contain what's inside of it, but also really beautiful, right? So now you take them into NFTs and mostly in your art, a lot of your practice has been taking things that exist in the world, whether it's like a picture of another artist or a picture of your own family, and then painting over it, writing over it, destroying it, defacing it, or corrupting it in some way. It has built a whole community around it. Yeah. I think that was the part that I appreciated the most. Uh This idea of discord and that you know, you could communicate directly with people. And they weren't only people from the art world, but they were from all kinds of places. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, NFTs are like this corny thing that feels like such a sad replacement for what we imagine when we think of big A art history. But on the other hand, the existence of NFTs has completely blown open the arena for people to think collectively about an aesthetic object, to create some kind of language around an aesthetic object. And I don't know, I guess I'll take the good with the bad. It has shifted the parameters of of how people can interact with with art. For sure. Because it's, it's way more direct and people are genuinely excited about being there, which is more than you can say about people in the gallery scene, for instance. <laughs> Yeah, can you say a few words about how it compares to your last few years interfacing in art world spaces? Well, I mean, we minted over 1,000 NFTs. And, you know, what's special about it is, you know, nobody can see what they get. So it's also this issue of trust in a way. There's something genuinely happening there that you can't ignore. And I think with the gallery scene now, it's so commercialized Mm. and so just for a certain amount of people where NFTs is like, you know, everybody's welcome. I mean, yeah, definitely. Except for the fact, I mean, in the context of your work, this idea of trust and trustless systems has a kind of, well, it has a few other dimensions to it. I mean, 
your work somewhat famously is responsible for the closing of exhibitions and maybe galleries, maybe gallerists. It, it It's somewhat of a poison pill. Um, it's very seductive. But as soon as the receiver is holding it, as soon as it's in their possession, it becomes often a liability. I mean, that's also one of the reasons why your work is incredibly interesting. It tends to very precisely hit a pressure point of desire and danger, social norms, cringe, risk-taking. I mean, I feel like in some ways crypto is the perfect medium for you right now. But I guess it's a lot to ask of somebody like a random stranger to spend 0.5 ETH. So, you know, somewhere around 1200 euros on a JPEG that they don't know what it looks like. But I guess even if they hate the work, they're granted entry into this community. So it immediately becomes just as much about the image as it is the image being a placeholder for their membership in a community. If they think the community is cool, then what the image is is secondary. And I guess if you do circle back to art history, I mean, so much of art is that, right? You want membership in a certain community. That's true both on the blue chip collector level and that goes for community at the level of the artist or even the emerging gallery. Yes, exactly. So two things. Uh, One, I wanted to know, I mean, the... I remember when I was day trading too much at some time, it's definitely kind of just like a casino. Like it's definitely has an addictive element to it. And I think a, a whole bunch of crypto traders are actually hopelessly addicted to it. I've, I've, I've seen terrible falls myself uh, with some people I know into the depths of, of crypto trading depravity. Uh, but I also know that you have a like kind of an addiction addiction <laughs> roadmap plan for Lightbulb Man. And maybe you could tell us if you how you had addiction in mind with this NFT project. Yes. Uh, in many ways, I was thinking about that. What we also did was that we built like a make-believe narrative around the light bulb man that you know he was coming from this land called Shige and that you know they were communicating to this kind of drug that is called what? <laughs> like light bulb what? W-A-T. Yeah you know we're like a team of 14 people. Oh wow. And a lot of people who I worked with they were very imaginative and did come up with quite a lot many ideas. So there's this story that unfolds over the course of a year. But unlike this being some posy thing where Lightbulb Man gets to, I don't know, go to the mountains or whatever, holders of Lightbulb Man end up being airdropped these watts. But there is a chance that Lightbulb Man can overdose. And then if Lightbulb Man overdoses, what happens? Uh, Then it can disappear or fall apart. So the addiction can kill him, actually. Yes. And then you have some IRL elements. Like if your light bulb man ends up doing too much NFTs, like Freebase's too much Watt, and he implodes, then you as the human holder of this NFT have access to various different IRL features. Like I think there's a fashion capsule that you're producing and maybe some other stuff. Yes, that's about the narrative. The only thing is that we have some plans to develop the project further, but it just isn't ready yet. 
I see. So I also wanted to ask you, we've often spoken on this podcast about positivity in crypto and how there's not much space for negativity or for criticism. And I wonder if you had any thoughts on negativity in the space or yeah, have you thought about that at all? I mean, I think definitely, Carly, that to bring in some kind of negativity, that was like why we invented this country called Shige, which basically means shadow in English, which is like a, a dark, sinister place where a light bulb man is articulating himself and then you can move with him on Discord. That's like a place of uh, despair and addiction and sadness. I mean, that makes sense because also if we think of the genesis of crypto, if we think of like early Bitcoin, I mean, actually, Bjarne, I feel like you were the first person to even introduce me to the concept of cryptocurrencies. I'm pretty sure it was like through you that I first understood that there was this digital currency one could use to buy illicit things on the Silk Road and encrypted spaces online. Spaces where people were alone, just in front of their computer without much else happening in their lives. Yeah. And from the start, cryptocurrency allowed people to lead a double life, really. De- definitely. But I also think that bringing Lightbulb into this universe, there is also this sadness with this character. He, he appears like a sad person. And many of the NFTs also include text. So there's the figure of Lightbulb Man, and then on top of it is scrawled lines like, only do drugs that kill you, or abuse daddy, or the world is full of corporate rich cunts. Um, What relation do those lines have to the figure or to the NFT in general? Yes, those lines, they're just as much a part of the NFT as the Lightbulb Man is. You know, I, I don't know, probably it's a ton of people who really hate them. But me personally, like, I actually, I felt like people were accepting that they were engaging with this work. They would also need to engage with this type of negative language. The one criticism I actually saw with all this wasn't even related to the work or you, Bjarne, or anything else like that. It was actually just around the word rave being used in the metaverse. And uh, if it was absurd to call something like this event a rave. And I wanted to know what you thought about it, if you thought it was appropriate to call it a rave, if rave was hyperbolic, or if these things really did feel like a akin to a real rave. Well, I mean, when we did it, we can't assume that a lot of people will take it as a negative thing. Mm. But, you know, the word rave, it's also a little bit related to the idea of that whole project should be a little bit low-tech, should be a little bit backwards. Because a rave today isn't what a rave used to be 10 years ago. Totally. Good point. It's all festivals. And the notion of raves has been really sold out by festivals and by like, I don't know, tech marketing even. Yes. So calling it a rave, you actually wanted it to feel kind of like, I don't know, DIY and janky in 90s or something. For sure. And do you have any plans to bring Lightbulb Man into some form of a metaverse or gameplay space? Yes, uh- I'm working on several things that will be following the NFT project. One thing is the fashion line, another thing is the toy collection, and also uh, graphics. 
I would totally be into some AR filter that would allow light bulb man to take me through my day while commenting on the world around me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I know you don't have tons of time, so maybe just a last question here. Yes, one last question, Bjarne. What do you have to say to people who think NFTs aren't and never will be real capital A art? Uh, I think they can fuck off. I mean, uh, <laughs> basically, I, I think, uh, you know, art is what you name it. You know, uh, it becomes what it becomes. That's true. Mm-hmm. Well, Bjarne, thank you so much for your time. Congrats thank on... Thank you so much for asking me. So- okay, bye. Thank you for listening to this new model short and thank you, Bjarne Melgard, for speaking with us. To find out more about Bjarne's current project, go to lightbulbman.com. You can also check out NM Topsoil episode 20, Collective Paranoia, where we talk to Bjarne about his overarching artistic practice and spicy personal history. Stay tuned for Topsoil 78, as well as another short with Anastasia Osipova on the ground in Ukraine, both coming later this week. Thank you, be well, and see you next episode. This has been a New Models production. Music and mixing by Low Internet. For more, visit patreon.com slash newmodels. Be sure to sign up for the channel mailing list at channel.xyz and stay updated on our upcoming season one public launch.